Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hi, Last Archive listeners. I want to tell you about another podcast to add to your queue, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan's podcast is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker, so you can come to your own conclusions about what's happening in the world. He dives into the minds of fascinating people, from authors and activists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his recent deep dive into modern flat earth theory, and why some still believe the earth is flat despite thousands of years of evidence to the contrary. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show, whether it's asking for advice the right way or discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Pushkin. Imagine there's a place in our world where the known things go. Corridors lined with lockers, filled with textbooks and backpacks and snacks. That place, this place, is a high school. Sneakers skidding on freshly waxed linoleum floors, fluorescent lights gleaming overhead, the gabble of gossip flirting in the hallway. And down this hallway, a history class. What is a fact? Start there, amongst your table. And how do you know when something is true? Discuss. Take a few minutes. Welcome to The Last Archive, the show about how we know what we know and why it seems lately hard to know anything at all. I'm Jill Lepore. This episode, we're going back to school to learn how to know What's true? Someone tell me. Be brave now. What's a fact? Who wants to go first? Start me. What's a fact? Benji Cohen teaches world history at Cambridge Ringe and Latin School, a public high school in Massachusetts, outside Boston. So we're going to watch a thing. Like three minutes long. You have in front of you the transcript of it to use afterwards. One day last winter, he started his class by playing a campaign ad, actually a spoof of a campaign ad, in which a generic political candidate says meaningless things over stock footage and sappy music. Hello, it's me, candidate for president. A person with a face. A person whose hand gestures are definitely not weird. Here are a bunch of different people matched with career signifiers, like a helmet, a uniform, or a stethoscope, on the off chance that you identify with one of them. And here's a guy with a belly, a beard, and a hard hat. I talked to this guy, I think. The kids in Mr. Cohen's class thought this was pretty funny. Laugh out loud funny. They got it right away. They'd seen political ads their whole lives. And they get, oh my God, they so get irony. What is this ad arguing? What's it actually say? What aesthetic choices stand out to you? Uh, what does it reveal to you about American politics? And uh, are there any factual claims here? And if so, what are they? 
Take two minutes, talk to each other. I was there in Benji Cohen's class to witness a thought experiment brought to life, an attempt in this our season of solutions to confront up close, mano a mano, the problem of political misinformation. These kids know their country is facing a lot of problems, but a lot of the election talk they hear sounds more like a fight in the hallway. You lie, no, you lie. Politicians lie, they tell big lies. This has been true for as long as there have been politicians. And it'll be true forever. Well, I'm not a crook. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale. Campaign ads are full of misrepresentations. Attack ads are the worst. But even straight-up pro-candidate ads can be outrageously deceptive. And entire political campaigns, even campaigns for the White House, can be lost over these ads. Consider the time in 1988 when supporters of George H.W. Bush aired an ad attacking Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis for being weak on crime. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton. The ad was deceptive, but it was also effective. It's often cited as a major contributing factor for Dukakis losing his election. Or think about how, in 2004, when one ad all but accused Vietnam veteran John Kerry of treason. He betrayed us in the past. How could we be loyal to him now? This was not true, but it helped sink Kerry's campaign. To say that this has been going on for a long time isn't to say that it isn't especially terrible right now, because it is terrible. There's no real way to answer lies and misrepresentations in political ads, no effective way to fact-check them. In the broadcast era of broadcast radio and television, the FCC created a set of rules for political ads. Those rules mean that broadcasters just can't, cannot refuse to air a political ad if it's been made by the candidate's own campaign. You might remember last season when we had a whole episode about a thing called the Fairness Doctrine, an FCC rule that made it so television and radio stations had to reflect all points of view. But that rule ended in 1987, with the end of the Fairness Doctrine, and the rise of talk radio and partisan cable television, an era where you get stuff like this. And the rest of you feminazis, here's the deal. What I have here uh, is a copy of Donald Trump's tax returns. We have his federal tax return for one year, for 2005. Uh, What we have are these two pages. People have tried to bring back the Fairness Doctrine, but it never works. It's not coming back. And even though this is a season of solutions, I have to be honest. Broadcast television and radio, cable television, I don't see a solution there when it comes to horrible political ads. The real fight, and the real possibility too, is with social media. The FCC doesn't control political advertisements on social media. No central governing body does. There are no rules, except the ones social media companies make for themselves. Wild West, all that. And usually, I would say this is a bad thing. The internet, it loves lies. It thrives on lies, conspiracies. Lies get clicks, clicks make money. You know all about it. The thing about these companies is, they can still change how they work. They could still change how they handle political ads. They could make a new version of the Fairness Doctrine, something better, not a doctrine, but a practice. That's how I ended up in Benji Cohen's history classroom at Cambridge Ringe and Latin, because who knows social media better than teenagers? Also, I'd come across an idea that I thought maybe could fix this whole mess. A while back when the days were cold and short and COVID was in one of its peaks, I went to visit a colleague of mine, Jonathan Zittrain. He teaches at Harvard Law School, and he's the co-founder of the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society. I had a hunch one of Zittrain's ideas would be perfect for my season of solutions. Everyone calls Jonathan Zittrain Jay-Z. Okay, not Jay-Z as in Jay-Z and Beyonce. Jay-Z as in Jay-Z, the legal scholar. He might not be a multi-platinum Grammy winner, but Jay-Z is the man. He got into computers as a sysop on a CompuServe forum for people who love Texas instruments. That's computer speak for moderator on a discussion board. He was in sixth grade. He's still got that anarchic early web energy and faith. He's always got these ideas that are so crazy, they just might work. 
this idea was really to myself just meant as a thought experiment that was clearly goofy, but I was just going to think it through and see where it led. And as time has gone on, it has seemed less and less goofy, or maybe it's that everything else has seemed more and more so, so it's the last plan standing. Zitrine said, I know how to solve political misinformation and campaign ads. Or at least he said, I have a pretty darn good idea for how to try. Imagine, in every civics or U.S. history classroom in every public high school across the country, students gathering, say, for one class period a week, to decide what political ads should be allowed on the internet. Trial by teenager. If we ask those students to have a look at the ads as they are proposed to be run on a platform like Facebook and take a moment and see if they pass some threshold of disinformation, of lying outright, uh, of inaccuracy, deliberate in whatever small groups they might form from among uh, a single classroom, and then see if they can come to consensus or, if necessary, a vote on whether the ad meets a minimum standard of truthfulness. And if the students decide that it fails to, their decision sticks and that ad will not run. And there you have it. High school students, they decide. Not only would you, it turns out, have enough high school students to actually manage the scale of the number of ads being lodged, but maybe you'd be in a position both to have their decisions respected and you might be helping them exercise a muscle from the vantage of playing the role of an arbiter that could come in handy as they, in turn, become voters a year or two after these exercises. Yeah, I love that sort of two-for quality about it, right? That it both sort of resolves the, the question of should these ads be made available to the public and how high school students can learn skills as citizens in a, in a democracy. It also, because I, as I understood your proposal, you'd be grouping together students from different communities. Yes. Kind of anti-polarization or check against polarization is also maybe the forfer piece of I think that's right for for now. And you'd get the value of both the deliberations and this is something you don't much get on a jury, asking the students to craft their reasoning. And it might be that some students would write in dissent and Mm -hmm. that that could be very useful. Yeah, yeah, there could be like a minority report. Exactly. Now, I think this is a fascinating idea and a really promising one, but I want to be very clear about what it's not. It's not a lark. It's not idle speculation or armchair quarterbacking. It comes from Jay-Z's very careful analysis of the problem with the internet and society. He described for me three different eras in that history. And the first era was one of what I'd call uh, the rights era. Era one, the rights era, where anything goes, free speech. That era lasts through the early years of the internet and even the start of social media. In that era, you could say anything you wanted. There were no limits. A lot of people hoped, expected even, that the internet would strengthen democracy by democratizing publishing. And as you know, this isn't quite what happened. People started to revolt against this idea of free speech. And so Era 2 started around the year 2010, Jay-Z says. And he calls Era 2 the public health era. It's then that some kinds of speech came to be understood as harm, as if bad ideas are viruses. But a problem with the public health era is this. Who decides which speech is harmful? The problem is that we don't even trust our public institutions, and it's not like we're trusting Facebook or Twitter these days so much. So whom would we want to wield the power to shape what we can and can't see? And that led to me uh, thinking there might be a third era in the making, which is the era of legitimacy or process. Era three, the process or legitimacy era, I think maybe it needs a better name. But Jay-Z's point is that in the era we're now in, we need to find a process, one that people respect as legitimate, that can start to reconcile the tension between rights arguments and public health arguments. And so he says, what process do people still respect? Trial by jury. You say, gosh, what that jury decided doesn't seem like what I would decide from what little I followed that case, but they were there, they know, And that person 
who was judged by that jury got a fair spin, would be the idea of an ideal process. From there, Jay-Z came up with the idea of having a jury of high school students decide what political ads can and cannot get posted on social media. For Jay-Z, this scheme began as a thought experiment. I mean, I think it also came out of the fact that he was moderating content online when he was in sixth grade. But some of the best things ever invented started out as thought experiments. This high school thing, it had started as a thought experiment, but I told Jay-Z I wanted to actually do it. And then we both got excited because Jay-Z, well, he thought that if it worked, it might actually become a thing. If Mark Zuckerberg woke up one morning or one of his primary deputies and said, this would be a great idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you could like suddenly have a nationwide implementation rather quickly. Yeah. Um, that makes it very high stakes. That brings us back to our experiment. I put together a lesson plan and I went to Ringe to test it out, to Benji Cohen's class, back to school, right after the bell. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on the storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered... How can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first-place winner in the industry category at last year's Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Hi, Last Archive listeners. I want to tell you about another podcast to add to your queue, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan's podcast is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker, so you can come to your own conclusions about what's happening in the world. He dives into the minds of fascinating people, from authors and activists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his recent deep dive into modern flat-earth theory, 
and why some still believe the Earth is flat, despite thousands of years of evidence to the contrary. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show, whether it's asking for advice the right way or discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For those who can't see, my room is small and has no windows. And so when I moved in, I was like, these walls are going to become tattooed. Benji. Mr. Cohen. Mr. C. At age 32, he's already a legend. Cohen's lean. He's a runner. In winter, he wears chucks. All-stars. Otherwise, sandals. He is killer at ultimate frisbee. Also, tennis. He tells the students they can gamble their grade on his serve. One serve. If they can return it, he'll give them an A+. Otherwise, they flunk his class. His first year teaching, one kid who was already getting an F took him up on it. The whole class went outside, their tennis courts out front. Mr. Cohen aced him. The kid's F stood. That was four years ago. No one has challenged him since. The walls of his classroom are covered. There's a giant poster that reads, Free public education is a civil right. There's a photo of James Baldwin. And pasted on all four walls are student projects. Some highlights include the Pizzagate board game. I teach a class about American politics and current events. And we do a unit on, like, conspiracy thinking and the infiltration of that into politics. And so we examined Pizzagate and... uh, Some students decided to turn it into a game. This school, Cambridge Ringe and Latin School, or Ringe as everyone calls it, is a big citywide public school. My kids all went to Ringe. What up, Mommy? Come on, come on, what up, Mommy? You do look a lot like your mom. School has nearly 2,000 students. More than half of them are students of color. Kids at Ringe are native speakers of more than 20 languages. At graduation, they welcome the audience in each of those languages. I've attended that ceremony, and I can tell you everyone cries when that part happens. If you live in Cambridge, you hear about the famous people who went to Ringe. Patrick Ewing, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Bill de Blasio, NPR's Car Talk guys. They went to Ringe, too. Benji Cohen? He went to Ringe. Anyway, it's a fantastic, amazing, hubbubby school. What's up, Tom? The morning we went to Ringe just after MLK Day, the kids tramped in, winter coats, face masks, backpacks, looking a little sleepy. They slouched into those chairs, you know, the ones with the tennis balls on the feet. They checked TikTok. And then Mr. Cohen got started. All right, everyone, put your phones away. Welcome. Um, Here's what we're going to do today. Uh, Our guests are going to introduce themselves. And then we're just going to jump right in. Sound like a plan? All right, rock on. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, good morning, everybody. Um, Mr. Cohen's probably told you we're working on a podcast. And the podcast is about how people know things and know whether things are true. So thing one, there's a piece of paper at your desks. You can use it or you cannot. The first thing we want you to think about as a collective, just talk to each other. You could write notes if you want, is what is a fact? And how do you know when something is true? We wanted to figure out how kids thought about facts, opinions, beliefs. Twenty or so students, mostly juniors, divided into four groups and sat huddled around tables pushed together, trying to write a definition for the word fact. It was a kind of beautiful chaos. Fact is like something that can be proven, like an experiment or like science or something. Like I feel like people get facts and opinions mixed up a lot. And like beliefs, like Ruth is a junior, plays on the basketball team. She's also part of a student-run project at Ringe, whose aim is to integrate more of the Black past into the history curriculum. She seemed like a classic go-getter, front of the room, hand raised kind of kid. Mr. Cohen nodded along, encouraging them. Then he called on a ninth grader. Anya, start me. What's a fact? So a fact is something that can be, like, proven. You have a statement that's been said, like, um, 
Benji was born on July 22nd. July 22nd, 1992 or whatever. I wish. <laughs> um, and to prove that, he would have like a birth certificate to prove it, which would mean like, you know, that's that, that's the fact. And, but like, something else want to add on. Almost sounds like you're saying you need like a primary source. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kate. that. Kate. Okay, great. Good start. But then what? Mr. Cohen kept pushing them. And what's striking here, I hope you can hear it because it blew my ears right off my head, is the seriousness with which the students are taking all of this. Sure, they're messing around, but there's a real sense of solemn responsibility. That this civic exercise, maybe it matters. Maybe to their great okay, and maybe to their relationship to Mr. Cohen, whom they all adore. But also their relationship to one another and to themselves. They care. They really care about getting this right. From the start, they cared about that. They cared about doing it well. Mr. Cohen has this way of urging his students on. It just knocked me out. Be brave, he'll say. Go for it. Rock on. We're going to rock with an example given from the back. I want to hear what everyone has to say. Okay, so Robbie, Robbie trying to make trouble starting in the morning. So here's the question. You ready? You ready? Is it a fact that on January 6th, Trump supporters went into the United States Capitol. Is that an established fact? And if so, how do you know? Go ahead. Uh, yes, it is. So there's two parts of this. There's the went into the Capitol part and the Trump supporters part. As for the went into the Capitol part, we have video evidence showing that people were in the Capitol. And we also know that from that video evidence, those people appeared to be Trump supporters. It's a fact. Isaac, you just heard Isaac. He's a junior, member of the school debate team. He was sitting next to Robbie, who started the school hiking club. Robbie piped up next. I'm under the belief that, I mean, there's like a 100% true fact. It's just whether we know it or not. Um, and me personally, I'm 99% sure that it actually was Trump supporters. But there's always like, there's always a possibility that it's something completely different. I think at this point, it's not even whether or not you know it. It's whether or not you believe it. Robbie and Isaac and Zach, boys in the back of the room, kept ramping it up. In the mythology of the big city public school classroom, the boys in the back of the room would be leaning their chairs back, chewing gum, throwing wads of paper at the front. But Mr. Cohen knows. These kids are smart. So is fact just about belief? You're just accepting it? I'm on, te- I'm on team that they must be this, and that's where it's true. Any other understandings of a fact separate from that example? What else makes a fact a fact? All right, go for it. Ari's a senior. He's in the school musical. Like, I really liked, um, like, George Orwell's 1984 when he he was talking about, um, like, whether the truth really matters. And, of course, it does matter um, to all of the characters, right? Like, the final thing that they ask you to dismiss is the truth of your eyes and ears. Is fact actually about, like, majority acceptance? Is that what makes a fact a fact? No. No, because that goes directly contrary to like the uh, the definition of facts that we've talked about before, which is a fact is something that can be basically verified Mm. with direct evidence. All right. That leaves us in a good place. Yep, a good place with a working definition of a fact and ready to apply that definition to some political ads. Mr. Cohen, move to that next. We're going to watch two ads. These are... We'll see what actually happens. I think the Republican incumbent, meaning the guy who's currently the Republican senator in Wisconsin, it's his re-election ad. His name is Ron Johnson. And I think, fair to say, maybe the Democratic frontrunner to challenge him. So you're going to watch two ads in a row. The front- Mr. Cohen's students were ready to be called to the jury. They'd be evaluating two internet ads from the same race for a Senate seat in Wisconsin. We picked Wisconsin sort of randomly, but this looked like an interesting race, and the goal of the first experiment was just to see how the kids thought about truth in advertising, see if they'd even be interested in this. So for this version of the experiment, we wanted to ask high schoolers to consider candidates from another state, campaigns they'd probably not followed or even heard of. First, the Democrat, Mandela Barnes. Excuses are nothing but a dead end, and expectations? something to be shattered. You can't see it, so I'll just tell you, this whole ad, basically, Barnes is running, literally running, in track shoes and shorts. There are no idle hands here. 
No low we haven't carried. No one waiting for a handout or a free pass. But that hard work isn't paying off like it used to. My mom taught school for 30 years. My dad worked third shift at the factory. When I think about their hard work, about everything that Wisconsin families have on the line, there's no option to tap out, no towel to throw in. Instead of changing our dreams, we gotta change the game. That, that's America at its core. In this state, our state, we were the first to ratify the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. We were the first to protect the rights of the LGBTQ community. We are game changers. Okay, that's number one. And here is number two. Remember, the task of this jury is to watch and listen and look for assertions of fact, because afterward, they'll have to check them. So next, we all watch the Republican incumbents ad. This guy's running for re-election as Wisconsin senator. Our country is in trouble. Democrat policies have been disastrous for America. Open borders and a flood of illegal immigrants. The 2020 summer riots, defunding the police, lowering bail and not prosecuting criminals. The result, more crime, human and sex trafficking, record drug overdoses, Kenosha set on fire, a growing number of murders in Milwaukee, and the Waukesha Christmas Parade turned into a terrible tragedy. It feels like our country is being torn apart. That's not how it felt when I ran in 2016. Back then, I intended to serve a second term and go home. But now, with the Democrats in total control, our nation's on a very dangerous path. If you're in a position to help make our country safer and stronger, would you just walk away? I've decided I can't. I'll stand and fight for freedom. I'm Ron Johnson, and I approve this message because I love America and Wisconsin just like you. So the students watched the two ads, Ron Johnson, Mandela Barnes. Then we handed out transcripts of what the candidates had said, line by line. And Mr. Cohen divided the class into two groups, one for each candidate. So, y'all handle Ron Johnson. Y'all handle one Mandela Barnes. Listen close. One, using those sheets in front of you. Does your ad have statements of fact? Find out which ones are true. Actually find out. Get a computer. Look. One person. Is this ad useful? Is your ad true enough to be posted online by social media companies? Why or why not? Enjoy. Have fun. Ron Johnson, Mandela Barnes. Let's do it. I started out watching the kids who were evaluating Mandela Barnes' ad, the jogging Democrat. Ari, the kid in the school musical, jumped in first. I mean, he said protect the rights of the LGBTQ community. Like, even though that's super broad, I feel like it's at least a stance, yeah. kind of. But it's still so vague that he's still... workers is something that either one of them could say, like the Democrat and the Republican could Yeah, like, what does it mean to protect workers? Exactly, right. I also thought it was odd how he said we were the first to protect the rights of the LGBTQ community, but I'm like, what does, what does that mean? Yeah, what do you mean? Where do you start? For that. I'd say the 19th Amendment because that's a pretty, I mean, you, can, you can either find out if that's correct or not. So, okay, they only had about 20 minutes to get this done, but they took out their phones and started searching, looking for places to catch Mandela Barnes in an error of fact. Teenagers are pretty good at the art of the takedown. The first thing by NPS.gov, June 10th, 1919, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin became the first states to ratify the amendment. So maybe technically Wisconsin was among the first. Among the first, but... <laughs> well, maybe his we statement, or if we make it vague enough, he's like we as in like all of the states that did it with them, you know? Or maybe within 1919, Wisconsin was first on the calendar? No, I think there's other... I left them mulling over that one. Then I headed over to the group that was evaluating the Republican, Ron Johnson's ad. They'd gotten really interested in this one line listed on the transcript that we'd handed out. Line 10, where the senator says, as part of a list of things that are wrong with America, Kenosha set on fire. Mr. Cohen got them started. Okay, I want one of you to explain how we've just gone through this, thinking about line 10. So start from the beginning. When we looked at the lines, before we uh, unpacked line Kenosha 10, set on fire. What did we think? Was Kenosha set on fire? Were there fires in Kenosha? Fires? 
Right, I'm just looking at his line here, right? He says, Kenosha set on fire. If we Googled right now, was Kenosha set on fire, what would we find? Well, I guess Peter's doing it right now. He can tell us in a moment. What I'm, what I'm getting at is, is there a fact here, but there's something missing in the fact? Kenosha may have been set on fire, but like, what is missing here? The context. The context. Who set it on fire? Who set it on fire? Why it was set on fire? The context. That feels valuable information, right? Yeah. The students did a bunch more Googling, close reading of the transcripts of the ad, checking facts. This much was clear. For this experiment to really work, students would need more time, not just one class period. Maybe more like a week. I have an idea. That's Ruth again, stepping in to save the day and come up with a possible verdict. I feel like it could kind of be a good idea to, like, show both perspectives at the same time. Because I know, like, oh, for, wow, for yeah. example, the first slide could be this, and then the next slide could be, like, the other side of it. So like then you the can Mandela get... Mandela Barnes. We yeah. see a little Ron so Johnson, a little Mandela Barnes. Yeah, so you can get two perspectives at the same oh, yeah. time. And also, like, um, when, like, when you post um, this specific campaign on um, social media and stuff, there can be, like, a link for, like, different words like Kenosha, and then you click on it, and then, like, it takes you, and, like, you actually know facts. So it's just, like, all, you learn stuff all together rather than just, like, seeing one thing and then going with it. Like, you're presented with both sides okay. and, like, context as well. So this is a good idea, a really good idea. But it isn't a new idea. It is, in fact, the fairness doctrine, the classic way of navigating the murky waters where fact and opinion mix. Still, the idea was new to Ruth, and she came up with it in one class period. Up until this moment, I'd been wondering, would this experiment work? Would these kids get it? This was when I knew it was working. Soon, we'd get to hear their verdicts. Coming up after the break. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event 
and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hi, Last Archive listeners. I want to tell you about another podcast to add to your queue, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan's podcast is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can come to your own conclusions about what's happening in the world. He dives into the minds of fascinating people, from authors and activists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his recent deep dive into modern flat-earth theory and why some still believe the Earth is flat despite thousands of years of evidence to the contrary. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show, whether it's asking for advice the right way or discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The high school history students at Ringe were about the most thoughtful commentators on the problem of political misinformation that I'd ever come across. I could have listened to them forever. But Mr. Cohen knew the bell was going to ring pretty soon. He called everyone back together. Time for a final verdict. Both ads were true enough, the students said. Both could be posted on social media. Then Mr. Cohen asked a different question. Who is more honest, Mandela Barnes or Ron Johnson? In your opinion, who presents a more honest view of themselves as politicians? This turned out to be a really difficult question. For a minute, the kids were stumped. They hadn't thought about honesty. Robbie said, Honesty is a political good. Maybe it really counts. And then when he started thinking about honesty and thinking about those two ads through that lens, the ads looked different. Johnson, the Republican incumbent, remember, and Barnes, his Democratic challenger. I could not predict what Barnes would vote for, which as a voter is most important to me. Mm. Um, Barnes's thing, is, is his ad is so generic that I don't know where he stands. Like, I don't know his base at all. I don't know how progressive he is. I don't know how moderate he is. I mean, the Democratic Party as a whole, it's like a huge spectrum. So specifically for Barnes, I feel like I get less of a read on him as a person mm. than I do on Johnson. So even if I, even if I may agree with him more. So this question of personally, yeah, so there's personally, question of personally. honesty, would you say Johnson is more like honest with Johnson? Him? Johnson is not more honest with himself. He's more honest with his policy. I don't okay. know who Johnson is as a, as a person, and I never will. But at least I will know what he's going to vote for. And with that, the class was just about over, and it was time to head off to calculus and Spanish and band. But before we stopped recording, Mr. Cohen asked one last question, just before the bell rang. He wanted to know, if this actually happened, if high school kids were actually tasked with vetting political advertisements, would these kids want to take part? How should social media companies decide whether stuff is true enough to be posted? Which one of you is going to be brave? Talk to me. Come on now. Um, look at you, Sharis. You're looking at me? Yeah! Sharis had been quiet for a while. Mr. Cohen was giving her an encouraging stare. Tell me, do you think it's good for, do you want the responsibility as a citizen in democracy? No, not necessarily. I think, I don't know if I should have that much of a say of, how social media companies, like, dictate what they do. I don't know if that's really all that. Then everyone had an opinion. Honestly, no one knows social media better than teenagers. The social media companies shouldn't be in charge at all. Um, they have way too much to gain. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it should be teenagers, but <laughs> um, it should just not be social media companies at all. I feel like we definitely should be asking random people, random citizens, to be the fact-checkers because they have no idea. <laughs> I think that the reason that works for juries is because tr cases can take, like, weeks and stuff. 
I don't want to spend weeks of my life deciding whether or not to flag a post with 30 likes on Facebook. Um, then a no-nonsense redheaded junior named Geffen jumped in. He jumped all in. I don't think that the social media companies should be deciding what's true and what isn't true. They shouldn't be controlling what we see. Diversity of thought is important. Shutting everyone down like Putin does, not so great. I don't support that. But of course it is their right to do it because it's their own business. Geffen, if you were to lean sort of all in, meaning the social media companies should just allow politicians to post whatever, don't regulate any of it, or don't allow any of it, where would you fall? Uh, they should not ban anything. Just let it all out? Yeah. Does anyone want it? No. No one, think, no one wants to be that group who de- decides? No. Everyone shook their heads. Nah, they didn't want that responsibility. They didn't want to be making binding decisions for Facebook. Not Isaac, not Geffen, not Sheris, not Robbie. 20 students shaking their heads. I want to be about You want to? Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. If I got paid. You got you paid? Get, you get class credit for yeah, it. Yeah, you get an A. Uh, oh, man. That's for an A. I was kind of staggered to hear that these incredible students didn't want to be the ones deciding what political ads are true enough to go up on social media. They either thought someone else should do it, or it shouldn't be done, or they'd do it if they could get paid. Like me, Mr. Cohen seemed pretty crestfallen. He asked the students if, in that case, democracy is just screwed. Are you asking if, like, <laughs> so democracy is a cry. concept is, like, inevitably, like, like screwed? No, yeah, like, no, we're not, we're not no. gonna, like, be willing to, like, no. Why no, are democracy you? is a concept, you? is it maybe Why America? Who not but you? Yeah, we're gonna be like, you're so smart! You're making a scientific claim about something yeah, like the vaccine. Yeah. What else are you doing? Homework, your essays, your personal manifesto. So if I don't assign you essays, you'll do it. Mr. Cohen was trying to make a deal with the students. No homework? Okay, look, how about a different deal? Mr. Cohen has that standing offer to all of his students. If a student can return his killer tennis serve, they get an A. So how about any student who can return Mr. Cohen's serve can skip this assignment and doesn't have to decide what political ads can go up on Facebook. But all you students who can't return that man's serve, it is on you. The kids zipped up their backpacks, grabbed their water bottles, and left for the next period. They'd issued their verdict. Their job was done. In this test run, they'd set high standards, clear standards, hard rules. They challenged one another. They're willing to change their minds. These kids brought to this assignment a whole lot of savvy and energy, and they also brought an extraordinary capacity to look beyond their own views, to think about the needs of everyone, the public. My verdict? Jay-Z's idea for high school juries to be the final content moderators of political ads online is even more brilliant than I thought. I was thinking two things when I left Benji Cohen's classroom. The first was, maybe our civic institutions still work. It felt good to spend a day in a public high school classroom and see an amazing teacher working his magic, see students being brave. We'd have to convince them that they wanted to evaluate ads, but that seemed possible. Maybe the kids were all right. The second thing I was thinking, though, was that this solution can't come quickly enough. It was winter 2022, and already the nation was gearing up for another brutal election cycle. The last presidential election, the Biden and Trump campaigns together spent more than $460 million on ads online. That's not counting all the state and local races. It seemed a safe bet that the money spent on online ads was only growing, and so were the lies. So I'll be honest. I tried this at first because we were working on the new season of our show, and I wanted to do an episode on political misinformation. And this was just a very provocative proposal. But now I'd gone full mad social scientist. I'd become convinced that Jonathan Zittrain's idea was a great one, but I knew I hadn't sufficiently proven that it could work. And Jay-Z was right. If Mark Zuckerberg decided to run with this, it could be policy in a few months. So I went back to the lab. There were two things I needed to fix. First, one class period was not enough time for students to properly fact check an ad. Second, what if this class was a one-off due to the genius of Mr. Cohen. 
Everything in his classroom, from the stuff on the walls to his voice, said, you are here to listen to one another and to learn and to care and to do good and to be brave. So to really test this idea, I figured I needed to try it out at a bigger scale, different people, different place, teachers I don't know, schools I wasn't familiar with. I also wanted to try out a longer version with more ads and giving students more time to do the research. And then most of all, I wanted to mix things up and add another crucial element of Jonathan Zittrain's idea, political differences on the teen jury. It's not that there weren't differences at Ringe, there were, but not enough differences. I needed to ask students in two different schools to evaluate the same ads. Students in two high schools in two very different states. Next time on The Last Archive, trial by high school, take two. A whole other level, across state lines, dueling schools, the March Madness, the World Series, the Olympic Games, a fact-checking. The Last Archive is written and hosted by me, Jill Lepore. It's produced by Sophie Crane, Ben Nadefhafri, and Lucy Sullivan. Our editors are Julia Barton and Sophie Crane, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Jake Gorski is our engineer. Fact-checking by Amy Gaines. Original music by Matthias Bossi and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonette. Our research assistant is Mia Hazra. Our foolproof player is Robert Ricotta. Many of our sound effects are from Harry Jeanette Jr. and the Star Jeanette Foundation. Special thanks to Benji Cohen and the Cambridge Ringe and Latin High School. The Last Archive is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus, offering bonus content like The Last Archivist, a limited series just for subscribers, and ad-free listening across our network for $4.99 a month. Look for the Pushkin Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. If you like the show, please remember to rate, share, and review. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jill Lepore. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, Last Archive listeners. I want to tell you about another podcast to add to your queue, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan's podcast is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker, so you can come to your own conclusions about what's happening in the world. He dives into the minds of fascinating people, from authors and activists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his recent deep dive into modern flat earth theory, and why some still believe the earth is flat despite thousands of years of evidence to the contrary. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show, whether it's asking for advice the right way or discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.